You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thank you, team, for leading us uh, this morning. Isn't it, isn't it great kind of to start uh, the, a bit of the summer rhythm? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe some of you were downtown in the masses of people uh, yesterday, uh, downtown. Maybe you were caught up in a fire yesterday. Uh, if you lived uh, near Knox Mountain, uh, it's always exciting in Kelowna. Hey, we're thankful you're here. Maybe you're, you're visiting from out of town. Uh, we just want you to feel welcome in this space. You don't need to believe anything in particular to be here, uh, but what we want you to know about us is we love Jesus. He's done something in our life that is, has, has brought us healing and freedom and forgiveness and joy in every season of the soul. We, we're people who, who experience the same troubles and, and the same hardships and, and, and the same difficulties and brokenness that everyone else experiences, yet we experience those things with, with this God who knows us and loves us and wants to make us whole. And not simply us, because we know that, that Jesus didn't come just for us. He came for the world that he made and loves. <laughs> And so we're thankful you're here, particularly if you're a guest. And if you've been coming for a while, we're happy you're here too. Bless you. Hey, uh, last week uh, we wrapped up uh, our Let's Talk series uh, with a pretty weighty topic, uh, and it was the topic of suicide. And I've been amazed at how many conversations that I've had over this last week with people who have been affected by uh, this particular topic. And there are many angles at play here. There are people who have experienced a deep clinical depression. There's those who, who have had suicidal thoughts or, or, or fixations or ideations. There's those who have loved ones who have either tried or died by suicide. And because of the, complex, the complexity of all of this, perhaps you left last week feeling like your questions weren't quite answered or that there certainly was a lot more to say. And I want to begin this morning by saying there is. There is a lot more to say, and I'm not going to speak about it this morning, but I want to address this. I want to encourage you, if, this is, if, if you're finding yourself in this place, I want to encourage you to reach out. No matter how this subject of suicide affects you, I want to encourage you to reach out because there is much more to talk through and there's much more to pray through. And so you can reach out in a couple ways. One, you can reach out to the pastoral staff. We would love to sit down for a coffee to pray, pray with you. But we also encourage you to reach out to some of our local counselors. And I put a, 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 lot of, or a bit of information on our website posted alongside of the, the Let's Talk sermon uh, message that we did last week. Uh, and you can go there and it'll help you uh, figure out how you can reach out if you'd like to. Also on there, there's an opportunity to get involved um, uh, with uh, KCR, Kelowna Community Resources here in town. They have a crisis line uh, and they look for volunteers to serve on that crisis line. And they provide training and all of those things, but I put that information on the website if you're looking for a way to get connected. Okay, so this morning we're going to jump back into the sermon series that we had been doing a ways before. We've been working through this actually since the fall at various times. We've been looking at the, the parables that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to take a few more weeks before we jump into our summer sermon series uh, to finish off a few important parables. And this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, so I invite you to turn there with me. I'm going to get to the text in just a moment. But let me begin with this. 
My daughter, Sophia, she's, uh, she's 14 years old, and, and she's at the age where she's starting to get some babysitting gigs around the neighborhood. And it reminds me of the time a little while ago when Gina, my wife and I, we, we would hire a babysitter for a night out ourselves. And there was always this moment, uh, and there's a few babysitters in this room, uh, and so I, I would always remember this moment uh, when I was driving home at the end of the evening after being away from my kids, and I would wonder, what am I going to find when I get home? Right? Maybe you know the feeling. I, I, I wonder if the babysitter survived. Like, I wondered if my kids made a wild mess of the house. I wondered if the babysitter cleaned up the dishes after dinner. I wonder what I'm going to see when I walk through the door. Do you know the feeling? I have the same thought after being on vacation. Maybe you experience the same. Sometimes we get the sitter for, for our house or our dog when we're away. And when I come home, that moment I walk through the door, I wonder what am I going to find on the other side? And most of the time, I'm delighted when we come home from, from being away. There, there are signs of care. There's a clean house. There's flowers on the counter. There was one time there was even milk in the fridge. We got some great neighbors. But I wonder, do you know the feeling? Returning home after a long absence, do you ever wonder what you will find when you return? See, Jesus wondered that question in Luke chapter 18. It's in verse 8. He says, when the Son of Man comes, now this was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself as the Son of Man. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus wonders what he will find when he steps back upon the earth. What do you think Jesus hopes to find what do you think Jesus hopes to find when, in your life when he returns? Turn with me to Luke chapter 18 as we read the word of the Lord. Luke 18, 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she, she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith upon the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we are a room full of hearts that need to be filled with the very life that you have. 
And so, Jesus, we pray that you would take these words and breathe into them and give them life so that we might become a greater measure of what you intend for us in life. We know we don't become this greater measure through our own effort, but through an encounter with you, the living God. And so do what only you can do. We pray that you'd speak, for we're listening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Jesus asks kind of this question. When the Son of Man comes, what will, will he find faith upon the earth? And now, the parable that I just read in Luke 18, it deals with this question in so much that it speaks about the kind of faith that Jesus hopes to find. It's, it's, it's what the parable speaks about. In other words, if you want to know what faith looks like, genuine, ongoing, God-pleasing faith, we can turn to this parable for an answer. Now, to be sure, this parable doesn't give the whole answer, but this parable does kind of put its finger on on what Jesus looks upon as this genuine, ongoing, God-pleasing faith that he hopes to find upon the earth. And the parable has two characters. First, there is the judge. And we're told two things about the judge. First, we're told that, that he doesn't fear God which essentially means that, that he doesn't follow or, or respect God's ways one little bit. He, he doesn't really care what God thinks. And second, we're told that he doesn't care what people think either, which can also be translated that he is not ashamed before people. And now, the world that Jesus lived in was an honor-shame culture. And so, if someone came to you and said, you're not ashamed before people, it was basically like going to them and saying, you know what, you're a bit of a dirtbag, right? I'm not sure I'm allowed to say that in church. Um, uh, but, but essentially, that's what it is. This is, this is someone who, who uh, doesn't care at all about other people. And so there's this judge who, who doesn't care what God thinks or what other people think. And, and if you ask me, this makes a pretty lousy characteristic for a judge, doesn't it? This is the kind of judge who who serves themselves, a kind of judge who'd be willing to take bribes, that they'd make judgments not on what's right and wrong, but rather on what benefits them and their friends. This is the kind of judge that we're being presented with in the parable. The second character is the widow. And now, you know that in Jesus' day, widows, they belonged to this class of society that, that was highly marginalized and vulnerable. In the eyes of the first century world, widows kind of had three strikes against them. First, they were women without power in society. Second, they had no husband to protect them, which is the way it worked in that day and age. And they were poor. They were most often poor. This was a recipe for a really difficult life. And so we're told that this powerless widow comes to a powerful judge with a request. Grant me justice. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us in the story who this adversary is or what they did against this woman, but, but rather we, we can assume that, that she had been taken advantage of in some way, shape, or form, and, and most likely it was financially. 
whether it was a debt that wasn't paid to her or, or an inheritance that wasn't bestowed on her that was supposed to, or some other financial injustice. And reg- regardless of what it is, she brings her complaint to the judge to make right what had been done wrong. Grant me justice. That's her request. And justice here is an appeal for two things in particular. First, she's asking for protection, isn't she? She's asking for protection. On her own, the widow is powerless. She's vulnerable, and so she appeals to the powers that be for protection. The second, the woman is actually asking to be made whole. You see, there's this concept in the the justice system of, of being made whole. We have a few lawyers uh, in in the congregation. You know this, that this concept of being made whole, it's the idea that when someone has been damaged in some way, that justice demands that those damages are repaired and that the person is made whole. If you've been cheated out of money, justice requires that that the money be paid back, but but not simply that, that, that the person be made whole again. And so this this woman cries out to the powers that be, saying, use your power to restore what's what's been withheld from me. Make me whole again. And now, notice that her appeal isn't for revenge. She doesn't look to to her adversary and say, punish the person. Rather, she simply wants to be made whole. Grant me justice. The text then tells us that the judge refuses her. He refuses her outright. In the Jewish legal system, there, there are these two classes of special precedents. Cases involving orphans and cases involving widows. They took precedence. They were seen first. Which means that, that, that this woman, this, this woman, her, her God-given rights were being violated by this unjust judge. This was not a good situation. And I think to, or, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to, to get this scenario because he's painting the picture of a woman whose back is against the wall. She's been backed into a corner in her life, and her back is against the wall. She has so much against her. She is a woman in a man's world. She's too weak in her status to compel the judge to make her whole, and she's too poor to pay for his protection. And now I think that, that Jesus is deliberately setting this story up because he, he wants us to know that, that sometimes in life that we're going to feel like our back is against the wall, like there is so much against us. You see, he was speaking to the disciples that day, and and the disciples who were there listening to this parable, they were about to experience this scenario uh, in a a wild way. Because literally, when this story was told, they were moments away from this head-to-head opposition from the powers of both Judaism and the Roman Empire all at once. Because they were moments away from the weekend where Jesus would be betrayed arrested, beaten, and executed on the Roman cross at the request of religious leaders. And the disciples, their their faith was about to get tested greatly. Their backs were about to be pressed against the wall. 
This is sometimes what, what happens, what, what we experience in life, and, and different people experience it in different ways. Those who are particularly powerless in our society experience this in a profound way. But we all experience it in some way or another. See, in our present lives, our, our faith is tested too. It's tested in these seasons of, of hardship, of opposition. In, in hardship where we experience financial hardships or, or maybe marriage troubles or health complications. These things, they, they, they test our faith. Or in the wake of tragedies that we experience or, or even the cultural pressures we face in our time. In all of these, our, our faith in Jesus, it's stressed, it's stretched, it's put to the test. And sometimes in times like this, we're faced with all kinds of questions. We pray to God sometimes, and we say, God, where are you? Do you even see me? Are you powerful enough to rescue me? Do you care? A little bit like the widow, we cry out to God for protection, and we cry out for Him to make us whole. You see, when your back is against the wall, your faith is tested. And that is what Jesus is getting at with this story. But, but I want to take a moment to say that it's important to, to recognize that there is another scenario that tests our faith greatly. And that's when, during those seasons in life, when everything is going right. <laughs> when things go our way, our faith is tested. When the sun is shining down on us, our faith is tested. Pastor Eugene Peterson, he tells uh, this story in his book, This Hallelujah Banquet. He writes this. A few years ago, on a bright spring Sunday, I met a man I had not seen in years at the entrance of our sanctuary. He had once been an active member of our church, but had dropped out years before. I was surprised to see him and said, Jimmy, what in the world are you doing here? It's great to see you, of course, but, but how come you chose today? He said, I woke up this morning feeling great, and I just had to say thank you. My business is going great, my kids are great, and the day is wonderful. And I had to say thank you to someone, and God seemed the only one adequate to receive all the thanks I am feeling. And so he did. He worshipped with us that day. He gave thanks and I haven't seen him since. See, sometimes our, our faith is tested most when the sun is shining down and everything is great. And Jesus asks, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith upon the earth? And now, for the woman in Jesus' story, the sun was not shining down on her. Rather, her back was against the wall. And, and what Jesus wants us to see in her story is, is her persistence. She didn't give up. She persisted so much that the judge finally gives in. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, But finally he said to himself, even though I, I don't fear God or, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. 
How's that for a twist in the story? In the original language, the word here for attack comes from the world of boxing. It actually like is a, a prize fighter's term for like being punched underneath the eye. And it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for something like this. I'm, I'm going to give in unless she continues to give me this headache. The judge relents and acts in the widow's favor on account of her persistence. You know, the parable isn't about pestering God so that he finally gives us what we want. The parable is asking the question, what does faith look like upon the earth? It looks like a powerless widow whose back is against the wall, and she doesn't give up. With the odds stacked against her, she persists in her cry for justice. She persists in the call for protection. She persists in the pursuit of being made whole. You see, this is the only parable in the Bible that is explained before it's told. <laughs> Did you know that? It's the only parable that's explained before it's told. Verse 1, at the very beginning, it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. What does Jesus hope to see when he returns? What does faith look like when he comes to the earth again? It looks like someone who always prays and never gives up. You see, this parable, it's, it's told in a how much more style, meaning that Jesus is saying if a powerless widow can affect justice out of a scoundrel judge, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father attend to His children's cry for justice? How much more will the Heavenly Father attend to, to our call for His protection, for Him to make us whole? How much more? Well, a lot more. Here is the true power of prayer. The power of prayer does not come from how often we pray. It doesn't come from pestering God with our requests until He gives in. That's not where the power of prayer rests. The power of prayer isn't in how often we pray or how we pray, but rather the power of prayer rests in the fact that when we pray, God actually hears us. Think about that. God is actually listening. There is no power greater than having the ear of the powerful God. No matter your station in life, God hears you when you pray. He hears the powerless widows and the perpetual sinners alike. Think about this. There is a God who created everything that you see in this world. He created the cosmos, and He hung the stars in their places. He is called El Shaddai, the Almighty One. He made the unmovable mountains, and yet He can move them with a single word. And every moment you pray, this Almighty One is stirred to your attention. He's attuned to your prayer. This was the secret of this widow's might. 
The power of prayer is that whenever the powerless pray, those prayers are heard by a powerful God. And it makes me wonder, why do we, why do we languish in prayer? Given all that God intends it to be. A while back, I sprained my ankle playing soccer. And if you've ever seen me play soccer, you wouldn't wonder why. It's pretty obvious, the clumsy one out on the pitch. <laughs> Either that or it was Tim Gower who kicked me. Where are you, Tim? I know you're here somewhere. You're a beautiful man. <laughs> and so I had to go to the physio because I sprained my ankle in soccer. And, and, and here's the thing. The first available spot was three weeks away. So they put me on the cancellation list. Maybe this has happened to you before. But church, God isn't like my physio. He doesn't leave people alone in their pain for three weeks after they call. He doesn't put people on a cancellation list waiting for his schedule to open up. The power in prayer is the fact that God actually attends to us when we pray. He hears and he acts. That's what the parable tells us, verse 7 and 8. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. You see, when we pray, God hears and God acts. And I don't need to convince you that, that we know that, that God doesn't always act the way that we want Him to. We, we wish He would, but He doesn't always act the way that we want Him to. But make no mistake about it, when we pray, those prayers are taken into His very heart, and He moves. He acts quickly, right away. And that's what makes prayer so powerful, particularly for the powerless. God hears and God acts. But here's the point of the parable that, that we can't miss. Robust, genuine, God-pleasing faith. It's a product of people who pray like the widow prayed, persistently, fervently, frequently, in season and out of season. You see, prayer is, is like this vehicle that, 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 that brings us to the destination that we call faith. Prayer is like this vehicle that brings us to the de destination we call faith. I mean, what does it mean to have Christian faith? Let's think about that for a moment. What does it mean to have Christian faith? It means that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, of course. It means that we have union with Jesus. And, and through our union with Christ, we have a relationship with the God who made us and loved us. And this is the core of what it means to have Christian faith. It is an ongoing relationship with the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So prayer then becomes the vehicle that brings us to the destination. Prayer is how we live into a relationship with God. And you see, faith doesn't come through something like, like a Bible study. 
Faith doesn't come through, through something like a sermon because these things, they can't carry your relationship with God. A sermon, for instance, it, it can inform your relationship, it can inspire your relationship, but it can never carry your relationship with God. Only prayer can do that. Only prayer. Charles Finney was a great revivalist preacher of the Second Great Awakening, a, a man who, who had turned the hearts of hundreds of thousands, some say 500,000 uh, people to Christ through his preaching. And he said this, the great preacher said this, we have had instruction until we are hardened. <laughs> now is the time to pray. See, the great preacher knew that, that faith without prayer is dead. Persistent, ongoing prayer in season and out of season. You see, when we give up on prayer, we lose heart. And when we lose heart, we lose faith. And so Jesus tells us a story and he says, always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. And if I'm going to be completely honest, sometimes these words can feel like cliché. I've been walking with some friends who, who, who are struggling with life events and they've been so faithful in prayer. Like, I mean the kind of faithfulness that leaves calluses on your knees. They've been faithful in prayer. They've cried out to God for His protection. They, they've asked Him to make them whole. But at times they get so discouraged because it, it, they've been praying for so long and, and God doesn't seem to be moving. He doesn't seem to be moving in the direction that they've been praying for and they've been a good direction they've been praying in. And so when I come alongside these friends, shoulder to shoulder, and I say, always pray and never give up, it can feel sometimes, if I'm honest, it, it can feel like empty advice, like a mantra that looks good on a motivational poster, right? <laughs> but that's about it. I picture a little cat holding on. Just hang in there. <laughs> always pray and never give up. But don't miss this. The power of these words rests in the person who is actually speaking them. And in the parable, it's Jesus. When Jesus speaks these words to you, it makes all the difference. You see, when I say standing shoulder to shoulder, always pray and never, never give up, it can only ever be an encouragement. Because... I don't know how things will turn out in the person's life. I don't know the pain or the trauma or the powerlessness that they are facing, and I certainly don't know the way out of it, but Jesus does. And so when Jesus says to you, always pray and never give up, he's speaking those words from a very different vantage point than I am <laughs> because he suffered the worst that the world could ever throw at a person. He was crushed under the weight of the world's ugliest sin. He was crushed under the weight of the world's greatest tragedies. 
but the dark power could not hold him down. For we know three days later he rose from the grave. And now he has ascended to the right hand of the Almighty Father, the creator of heaven and earth. The suffering servant, Jesus, now sits on the throne of the universe and he, 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 he says, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus knows how the future will unfold. He knows that justice will prevail. He knows that every tear will be wiped away in victory. And he knows how your story turns out with him in it. And looking upon you from that vantage point, he calls out to you and he says, always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Because you'll be made whole as you keep the faith. There are some people here today who are ready to throw the towel in. You're ready to give up on this Christian faith. It might be because of hardship, or maybe it's simply apathy, or anger, or frustration. And what you need to hear more than anything else today is the voice of Jesus who is speaking into your present situation from his future perspective, saying, always pray and never give up. May that be how Jesus finds his church when the Son of Man returns. Let's pray. Jesus, you love people. You love us regardless of where we've been or what we've done. Or... And so, Jesus, I pray this morning that, that you would reinstill in us a desire to, to be in that life-giving relationship with you that looks like this powerless woman <laughs> who, against all odds, is willing to say, I'm not going to give up because I know there is a God who loves me and made me and he loves this world and wants to restore both me and the world he's put me in. Jesus, bring us to faith afresh today. And I want to pray for those, uh, make space for those in our congregation this morning that, that are feeling like they're ready to throw in the towel. Jesus, in a way that only you can do, Holy Spirit, Draw these friends into this place of prayer where you can form and love and heal and you can replace what's been taken. Spirit of God, do what only you can do. And as you do, Jesus, Make us your church in every sense of the word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.